The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world and with a special emphasis on what I consider to be our most valuable asset, our human capital. So today, I'll be exploring keys to building high-functioning teams with my guest, Rod Napier. So let me tell you a little bit about Rod. He wrote the book on groups. His seminal text, Group Theory and Experience, is now in its seventh edition, and he's been, it's been used in thousands of classrooms. He has years of experience in organizational consulting and executive coaching, and he's just completed a new book called The Seduction of the Leader, where he courageously delves into the dark side of leadership. So we'll save some time towards the end of the show to explore that topic, which I think will be very interesting. So, Rod, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Oh, thank you very much, Olivia. So we've all grown up participating on teams, and many of us have been on teams in our workplace, our community. Why do you think many of them are not high-performing teams? Or maybe a better way to think of it is, um, what are the distinguishing characteristics of a high-performing team? Well, well, let me start with the reality that uh, 30 years ago or even 40, there was very little about teams. Teams hardly existed most organizations were organized in in strata, different levels, mm-hmm. but teams really weren't the uh, weren't the issue. And then about uh, ten years ago, maybe a little more, we became really team oriented. There had been a lot of talk about teams, but today we are a team based society. So many things are done in teams. Some of it for the right reasons, some of it for the wrong. The big rush to teams was basically a result of trying to get rid of a lot of middle managers uh-huh. and, tr- and turn their responsibilities over to team leaders, and that still is going on. Mm-hmm. It's not all that way, but it's partly that way, and the result is that many of the people who are team leaders know very little about teams, have had very little training or understanding of the dynamics of teams, and that's why the problems arise. We throw people in because we've all been parts of sports teams or community teams, but being part of an organizational team is a very different situation and can be very challenging. Hmm. Well, what makes it so different? Well, first of all, you have people 
as in any team, any group, when you come together, they have very different needs. And uh, when you have, let's say you have a team of 10 people and you put them in a room together and say, we're going to become a high-performing team, now you're suddenly faced with a wide range of variables, any which could sabotage that capacity. So what we began to do a long time ago is we talk first about the fundamentals that you have to be aware of if you really want a high-performing team. So I'd like mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll talk about other issues that can sabotage that very good effort. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about the fundamentals. That's a great place to yeah. start. So it's sort of like uh, going to school, and uh, you start at the bottom and think about these things, and most people will be able to relate. It's not that they're hugely complicated, but we don't think of them, whether we're in a classroom, in a boardroom, in a committee. They're all teams. Well, Uh, would it also even relate perhaps to families in some regard? I think so. (laughs) I mean, we're all part of families, and a whole lot of families are dysfunctional because the leader of the team doesn't know how to lead it or because there's conflict between the two leaders at the top or because the kids are put off by the style of the parents. I mean, you can go on and on. Okay. The the first group dynamic is really the home team, the family. Oh, great. Okay. So continue. Sorry. All right. So so I would say uh, I'll just I'll throw out about four or five things that everybody can relate to. And the first is this. When you go into a new team and you have a group of people sitting around a table, 10 people, we'll say, or five or eight, doesn't matter. Um, you're gonna, The first thing you're going to see is patterns of communication. Mm-hmm. So some people dominate, some people withhold, some people listen, some people don't. And that in itself creates a dynamic. So what we learned was this. If I asked this question of the audience, and if, if it was it was on air, we could see it, uh, I can pretty well tell what's gonna what the answer will be. But if you're in a group of 10 people, how many people will tend to dominate the discussion of that group? Hmm. You know, just what doesn't matter what, just, just the answer always comes up the same. So I'll have students put up in their fingers the number of people that will dominate that discussion. And I would say if I've asked this question a hundred times, 95 times it comes out to be the same. And that is, it's going to be two, three, at the most four people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to be comatose if you put up more than three or four, because in most group settings, a few people will try whether it's for good reason or not, to dominate that discussion. So that sets off a a pattern of communication that over time can be reinforced and that can lead to dysfunction. Can because, I just ask a yeah. quest, quick question? Yeah. And when you say they'll try, I in my experience, it's like they can't help themselves. Is that an accurate statement? Well, yeah, yeah okay. I think so. I mean, I think it's based on personality and how they've been raised and their personal needs and mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's hard but a group can control that a group can begin to set standards 
And that's a, that's another one of these fundamentals. So the first thing to do is be conscious of the fact that the patterns of communication tend to become ingrained. And if they're dysfunctional, of course, that will lead to team dysfunction. Right. So, see, I'll give you another one. So we talk about uh, goals. Well, everybody says, oh, goals. Yeah, we all have goals. But there are three kinds of goals, and most people don't consider them or consider all three. So the first is there are leader goals. So if you get a, a you know, have a team and you have a leader that says do something, you're t- probably going to do it because mm-hmm. they're the leader. That's in, That's smart. Second one, there become group goals, and those goals may or may not coincide with the leader goals. So you can right away have a conflict with what the group wants and what the leader wants. Because of power, it's, it's rare that the individuals will say something, but they can undermine that relationship. And then finally, there's individual goals, and we don't usually think about this, but a lot of dysfunction of groups and teams comes because individual goals are so personal. Like an individual goal can be, I don't want to look stupid, I want to hold back. That's not going to help the group because that group may be a resource that's not being utilized. Mm -hmm. Another personal goal might be, I want to lead the group, but that person may not have the style or legitimacy to do that. So individual goals can have a huge impact on whether a group can succeed or not because people's self-interest get in the way of of what the goal of the group really needs to be. Well, that's fascinating to me because when you were saying about people not wanting to look stupid, a lot of times those people may be the ones that don't talk a lot but could have just some little piece of information that may be, you know, in chaos theory, like a, a strange attractor or something that really could take the conversation in a whole new level or or lead to some innovative idea. So, um, And I've seen that a lot, and it's only been in the groups that were well-run where th- those nuggets even came out. So I really uh, appreciate that perspective. Yeah, it's, it's a very powerful statement, and uh, you're exactly right. The utilization of the people in the team, if, for, if, a, if a person is not feeling well-utilized, they're not going to feel like a member. And that's one of the critical elements of a highly functioning team is that people have to feel like members. They have to feel like they belong. They have to feel contributory. They they have to feel that they're liked and valued in that group. And most team leaders don't even think about membership. They just think about what the goal they're trying to achieve. They're not thinking about how people feel about being a member, whether they are well utilized and whether they're able to be truthful and open with what they have to say. So membership is huge. Mm. And in a lot of corporate settings, feelings aren't even considered. I mean, it's almost laughable in some settings that that you would even identify feelings as being important. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in an organization right now that we call it a rule-based organization. It's highly technical functioning organization. And you're exactly right. The idea of feelings are really left off the table. There's mm-hmm. no space, no time. That means the relationship to, with each other 
is going to be superficial at best and stifled at worst. Wow. Fascinating. Well, so we're just about up on a break. <clears throat> um, why don't we – do you have any final thoughts about that? Um, this membership? And then maybe when we come back, we can go on to another characteristic? I think, I think the audience, your audience, ought to ask this question whenever they go into a group. What are the criteria to be a member in this? And can I do that? Will I be able to be a member? Because motivation and morale – and productivity are tied at the hip to whether people feel good about their membership. Thank you. All right, so we'll be back in a few minutes. Stay tuned. It's, I'm Olivia Parud with Quantum Business Insights. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, welcome back. This is Olivia, and I'm with my guest, Rod Napier, a foremost authority on groups and high-functioning teams. So right before the break, we were talking about the fundamentals of a high-functioning team and specifically about membership. And Rod left us with a really great question. Uh, when someone is becoming part of a team, you know, will I be able to be a full-functioning member? Will I feel safe? All the, all the different aspects. So I'd like to just expand a little bit more on what are some of the fundamentals of a, of a high-functioning team. Well, so we've talked about communication patterns, that we see those immediately when you go into any group. And once you become really conscious, you can begin to see the dynamics then the second one thing we talked about was goals, individual group or leader goals, and any one of them can sabotage the effectiveness of a team. Then we talked membership, and then I'd like to talk a little bit about norms. 
so norms are uh, really they are the the building blocks of of cultures. We talk about team cultures and organization cultures, and norms are like the building blocks. They are the unstated rules that govern the behavior of a team or an organization. So I'll give you an example of an unstated rule that's really pretty simple, but it's you'll never find it written anywhere. And it's those unwritten rules that are very powerful. Well, here's one. Um, I was uh, in the Marines one time, and so I tended to uh, have a vocabulary that goes beyond normal. <laughs> and I swear quite a bit. And uh, But my goal is not to either embarrass or offend the people that I'm around. So I have to be really conscious of what the norm is around salty language. So, because I don't want to offend. Now, that's so it doesn't take long for me to understand what it is that uh, is the norm around language and around swearing. I can find that out in 10 minutes. So I'm not going to be stupid and offend the group and break their norm. Mm -hmm. But but some norms are really dysfunctional. So I was in an organization, a law firm one time. And uh, they had a bunch of new, newly appointed partners in the law firm. And the unstated rule was, if you're in a meeting of the partners, and there were 40 partners, if you're in a meeting of the partners, you don't say anything until you've been part of that group for at least three years. Wow. Now, now imagine you've got these bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young lawyers all excited how much they can add, but so much is in that particular system was around power and authority and mm. history and tradition and 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 also being able to you know hold on to the power you have. So that's a, a, a pretty good example. Another one has to do with humor, and another one has to do with um, you know who can talk and how they can talk. Mm-hmm. So if you sit in a group. In a, in a room with a group of people, by the end of an hour, you can pretty well identify both functional and dysfunctional norms. And if I'm a leader, I have to be really conscious of what the norms are that are dysfunctional because that'll keep me from having a high-performing team. Yeah, I would think one that came to mind to me is, is it safer to tell the truth? Do you see that happening? Oh, my Lord. You just hit it. Home <laughs> run. <laughs> That's good, Olivia. So in our world, in the world we're living in, we're becoming increasingly conflict-averse and fear-based mm-hmm. in organizations because being able to lose your job is so much easier than it was 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. That's true. Right. So what happens is people hold their peace they don't tell the truth, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit later when it comes to seduction of the leader. But it's, it's so powerful to have a norm where you just keep quiet, keep your head down, don't criticize, and don't make yourself vulnerable in any way. Wow. Yeah, and I, I've had experiences like that. So um, that's a very powerful norm. Hmm. So one other thing I'll talk about before I get into some other powerful issues that affect the life of a team, a lot of people will say, uh, if you ask them, 
So what are the factors on your team that keep you from being as effective as you might be? And almost inevitably, people will say trust. They'll say, well, it's the level of trust in here. We don't trust each other or we don't trust the boss or mm. trust Trust becomes a big thing. And they act like trust is the problem. And it's a, it's, it's not really. Trust is an outcome. You gain trust by doing certain things. And I'm, some, somebody showed me this years ago and it was always so helpful to understand what goes in, what are the basic rudimentary issues around trust. And so I'm just going to state them and you can begin to see that if you want to build trust in a team, then you need to be able to do the following things. So the first is, if you want trust, you it's, it really helps if you have some affection for the people on the team. That doesn't just happen. That's cultivated. That means you have fun together. You work together. You share together. It means people are being honest with each other. So having affection, you know, I can be on a team and it can be an okay team and you don't have to like everybody. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue. But the idea of being able to feel good about the people you work with, that's really powerful. And that will, people want to trust people they have affection for. And so I, that, I was going to say, I would think you'd have to respect them as well. Is that part of that? Yeah, well, I think what goes into affection, if I don't respect you, I won't have any affection for you. Okay. So it goes like that. So I think that's really true. And, uh, and I think respect is a powerful variable. But a second variable around trust is it relates to, it relates to this thing of membership. And that is the ability to collaborate or engage people on the team. If people don't feel that leadership wants to collaborate, values their opinion, wants to engage their minds, you will lose people and they'll begin to become passive and just do what's asked of them. Well, that's not going to be a high-performing team if people are only doing what's being asked of them. Mm-hmm. High-performing teams are teams where people seek to do more, to help each other, to take risks, to be open. And so that's not going to happen if, in fact, people don't feel that their ideas are valued, the collaboration is is a norm. So there we go. And, you know, I always feel in my experience that people most of all want to feel seen. It's not that they have to be, it, we don't have to agree, agree with them, but if we just acknowledge what they feel or say or th- their ideas, then they, they feel seen and then they feel part of the team. I like it. I think that's exactly right. I don't have, not everyone's supposed to be an equal member. I mean, we can have different levels of membership in a group, but if people don't feel seen, respected in that sense that you just said, uh, the chance of you reaching the level of a high performing team is, is very limited. Mm. So there are a couple of others. Uh, one is, um, is the ability to conflict. Mm. So in the last, 20 years, whether it's in families, in school, in church, or in business, there's been a a tremendous growth in the aversion to conflict. People won't conflict. 
they shut up. And part of it is the reason they don't have they don't have skill. They've never been trained. We're trained by our parents. I mean, if you look at your parents and how they handle conflict, they're probably not the best teachers in the world. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I've seen that among parents. Yeah. Well, take my parents. I mean, they had certain things they did pretty well, but managing conflict differences, particularly in the family, was not a strong suit. And they never had a, a single day of training. Most team leaders have not had a single day of training to deal with conflict. And yet the very nature of teams and groups are conflict-based. They are built on differences. They're built on on all kinds of of issues around power, authority, membership, all these things can create conflict. Well, and conflict is an energizer, right? So if you can manage it effectively and uh, respectfully, it sounds like it could be the birthplace of lots of great ideas. Yeah, look, I'm, I totally agree. Conflict just is. And I tell my graduate students, if you're trying to get out of conflict, then get out of business, get out of management, get out of life. I mean, life is conflict. And if you take everything personally and you don't have any skills for dealing with differences, then you're not going to be a very happy person. Mm, great. Yeah. So, so those, those things, affection, collaboration, and conflict are very powerful and the other thing that goes in a in a trust is having an environment that's consistent, that's not just volatile and crazy. And but then when people walk in, there are certain ways of treating each other that doesn't make it a fearful place. So um, I'm, again, I was this organization, this rule based organization I was talking about. Um, I happened to do work with them 20 years ago and they forgot who I was and forgot everything and asked, asked me to do work for them again. And, uh, and they found out later that I was the guy that did work with them 20 years ago. But 20 years ago in this rule-based company, the thing they wanted me to work on was how do we in fact create an environment of risk, the willingness to risk and be open so it was a risk averse fear based organization mm. and and you can't do anything if people are always fearful of what they do so i came back to the organization 20 years later and it was uh it continues to be fear based because the people at the top control everything mm. and if they're not willing to let go some of the control you're not going to have people risking. So I find a lot of organizations are both conflict-averse and fear-based, and that's not the, the way to develop uh, really open organizations. And that's, I guess, a, a type of norm, right? That would be... Well, a nor yeah, a norm, is, a norm is never contradict the leader. Okay. Never confront the leader. Never create conflict uh, that counters what the leaders say. That's, I mean, we've all been in an organization where that's really true. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the, my experience that actually drove my passion for 
these kinds of topics was that I worked my first corporate job after I got my master's degree was with a bank where it was very fear-based and there was a lot of competition in the market and then there was a, a merger and acquisition and I saw how people suffered because of the way they were treated and I realized that they were losing a lot because so just for example in the past you could treat somebody really badly maybe in a manufacturing plant and you could replace them easily if they didn't like it or they couldn't handle it but today with the specialization and the technology that people need to learn it can be costly if if people are leading through fear it can be expensive to lose people and i think this is one of the motivations for leaders now looking for different ways to lead that values people uh and and keeps them engaged and perhaps all the things we've talked about you know communicating better and getting people uh to trust it's it's so much more important today because of the complexity in business is that a fair statement well i think it's absolutely true on the one hand and on the other hand in the in the business of the stock market and all of this what you have is the bottom line profit driven organization uh what they do with what they've done in this since the last recession and almost everyone knows of a story like this when an organization is still making money but they're fearful so what they do is they cut out 10 20% of the people in the organization because what that right right away does is it makes it more cost effective right mm-hmm. right so it's very short term yeah that's exactly right well what happens is they then push down on the people remaining give them more work not more compensation but more work and they wait whether they're going to be in the next riff in the next mm-hmm. getting rid of people so you have this fear that permeates the system and then when there is a riff and these are in large organizations mm-hmm. they will tell people to stand by their desk and then the the internal surveillance or police group will walk people out Now what do you think that does to trust to membership to feeling like the things we're talking about so there are things that are going on in in management you wonder how could they even imagine doing that can't they can't they uh, can't they figure that this is going to have a huge impact on both morale and productivity and that's what happens and then finally when things when the market starts getting better the people leave mm-hmm. because they no longer trust so you have this cycle built in of mistrust and uh the group dynamic in which people want to get out of town yeah well that's a a, a great point because i i saw that i mean i experienced that they'd have a they'd announce a reduction in force and then um and then like you said people would wait by their desks and i knew people in this one bank where i worked that were starting their own business on the side because they knew it was going to happen and they knew that it always happened at tuesday afternoons at 5 o'clock so right. they'd have their entire office cleaned out but of course these were the people that were most valuable so the people that were left were often the ones that 
weren't maybe as good and it, it did make the entire company suffer. And I think that's another probably whole topic where we get into short-term profits and greed and how right now people get rewarded for doing that. Um, you know, those ones, the ones that make those decisions often get these golden parachutes. So it's, it's very frustrating. Um, but yeah. anyway, so we're just going to skip the break and, and kind of pad it a little bit later. So let's just continue on to um, some. So is that pretty much encapsulate what we were talking about with trust? Are there any? Other- yeah, I think that I, I think there's a, um, a litmus test that I have for high performing teams. I can go into a group and they'll say we're a great team and everything. But if they can't do what I'm going to talk about, then I would right away, I'm suspicious. Right away, I'm saying they're probably not a high performing team. And you can't just wish this or train this. This has to evolve within a team. But it's the idea of feedback. So feedback says, if you can't give the people on your team, including the leader, real-time feedback, see, right away that creates conflict, right? Potential. Right. Right away it's conflict. Right away it's risk. So I'm going to be truthful. So all the things we've been talking about, but if I really care and if I care to support and help the people on my team, then I will be motivated to provide them feedback given the fact that I have the skill to do it. Some people don't have the skill for giving it. But feedback without it, you can't make adjustments to your behavior, to your process, to your skill set, to your project. And uh, so think about how easy it is to give we went we started with talking about families. How easy is it to give your parent a little feedback? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Kids, you know, they get to be eight, nine, ten. They see everything. And they see the 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 clay feet of their parents. If parents are open and parents are solicitous of how can we do things better with with our family, with each other, mm-hmm. uh, it changes. And if you don't do that, you have adolescence by definition, which is trying to prove your parents wrong, act out against them. Well, the same thing happens in organizations. If I'm in an organization where we don't trust, we don't have openness, they don't care about feedback, they don't solicit my opinions, then what happens is all the discomfort of that goes underground and people begin to create a subculture of dissonance So one of the things you want to do as a leader is you want to create a team where people can be open and frank about what works and doesn't work, about each other's behaviors and how they can be helpful to each other. But it's a very big challenge. And uh, it's it's to me, you can understand why I can I can almost define the quality of a team based on their openness to feedback. Well, it, and isn't that a personal attribute in, in terms of perhaps someone's own personal development, whether somebody has good self-confidence or has experience, like you said, has had some sort of training in that? I would think this not only affects what happens when you form a team, but perhaps who you bring on or hire to be part of the team. There you go. Well, imagine... 
that I want to give you, Olivia, I want to give you some feedback. And I say, I say to you, so Olivia, you want some feedback? Sure. Right. And you can hear it in your voice. Yeah, yeah, right. Like bring it on, right? Yeah, Cause, right. Because what's the, what am I going to give you? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you negative, right? Right. So we're raised in a society where feedback is perceived as a negative. When in oh. fact, feedback is just information. If I don't have the information, then I don't have a choice whether I can, I can become better or not. So the, the whole idea of if I like you and care about you and you know it, and I say, can I give you some feedback? And you know that I'm going to do this from a place of care and support. You'll say, well, sure. I mean, it's because I'm not going to be hurt. I'm going to have certainly new information that I can use or not use. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a boss tells me you better change this, I'll give you feedback, change this or you're going to get fired, you listen to him. And that's sort of negative. But most feedback is just information, and it's that information that we need if we're going to make adjustments in our own lives. But if people are fear-based, they're never going to give you feedback. So imagine I'm in a business, and my employees have fear and aren't giving me feedback, so I don't give the information. I can't make the adjustments. Well, what's that say? Mm. Yeah, because now adjustments are even more important as change is happening more quickly so i would think being able to do that is is really essential today yeah uh, and and every, virtually everything we do and yet there are not a lot of high performing teams because the idea of respect and uh dealing directly and openly and honestly and truth telling that's a risky thing so Without that, you can't have, again, a high-performing team. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, and I remember I did one of your leadership trainings a few years ago. You weren't a facilitator, but it was part of your design called Group Leadership Intensive. And we did something called a strength shower, which was really just kind of a whole experience in positive feedback and everybody loved it. And then I remember talking to one of the facilitators and saying, well, how would you use this in business? And, and she said, well, you know, if you have to deliver negative feedback, the best thing to do is start out with some positive feedback. And that makes the person feel more safe and, and valued and acknowledged and then can receive it a little bit more easily as an area for development rather than a, harsh criticism well let me just uh give you a a correction from my vantage point i don't use the concept of positive and negative feedback Mm. it's just feedback how you do it you describe something you are specific in what you're saying and you said when you do this this is how it makes me feel or this is what i perceive or this is the response now You may not like that, but you may need that and may want that. So is that negative feedback? No, it's just information that's important. So by taking the labels off and putting it and giving people the skill to give feedback in a way that's constructive and not negative or hurtful, uh, it takes all that negative away from from the concept of feedback. So well, I'm a strong believer in that. And you, you said something 
interesting just now, which is that you expressed how you felt. So I think that's a really interesting nuance or important nuance that it, you're not saying you did this to me or, or this is um, you're creating problems. You're just pointing out an action to the person and saying, this is how I feel when that happens. Is that uh, accurate? Yeah. And I have, look, when you do that, it makes me feel unsettled or makes me feel angry or makes me feel whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, and then I need to have that information. My goal usually is not to make you feel angry. Now I, I could be that my goal is to make you angry well, it's just kind of sad, but that's what I would, I could be doing. But for most people, you're not trying to make somebody hurt or somebody to be angry or anything else. So if you can, if you can be descriptive, describe it and work from a, from a, um, from that kind of point of view, most people will take it and thank you for it. Great. Well, we have about a little less than four minutes before we come up on the break. And after the break, I really want to talk about the seduction of the leader. So are there any other issues around high-performing teams that you want to just mention in the last few yeah, minutes? Yeah, I have one. Um, and this has been a, an increasing problem in the organizations in which I enter. And it's so easy to correct if you want to correct it. So what happens is um, you get part of a team and the leader, let's say, is very controlling and they um, they hover and they micromanage. And that's one of the common elements that most people have experienced in their life sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's just micromanaging. And the question always is this. And, and this is an intellectual piece. Most you can't usually fix things with an intellectual idea because so many feelings are involved. But here's one that you can. You ask the question, if I'm a team leader, of each of the people working on the team, what is yours? That means yours to make decisions on, yours to decide. What is mine? Mine, the leader, mine, the whatever. And what is ours? And that is so simple. But if you imagine very few leaders want to do that because then that commits them to defining their authority. Mm, and right. one, one way to maintain power is by never defining your authority because the boss can always say, well, the buck stops here. This is ultimately mine. I can't give anything away. Well, right. excuse me. So now we go back to the beginning and we talk about affection. We talk about respect. We talk about collaboration, engagement. If I have no authority, if I'm given no authority, then how am I going to feel respected? How am I going to feel engaged? So there's always things that a boss can do to help somebody feel more engaged with more authority. But asking the question, what is mine? Do I need this? Is this essential to me? Or am I just holding this on for something of status or something? Mm -hmm. and, and what is yours? That's a negotiation. And in, in all good supervision, there ought to be some negotiation that goes on between the boss and the subordinate who gets a chance to talk about what they need, what they want, where they want to grow, things like that. 
So it sounds like the best leaders would really be looking to empower their employees and, and maybe give them some autonomy for some decision-making levels. And and um, then that would make it um, maybe perhaps even more, the whole team more agile and, and uh, be, be able to respond to changes more quickly and um, through that feeling of trust and, and affection and, and things that you mentioned. Yeah, well, you use the word empower. And that is one of those words that's bandied around a lot, empowerment. But the truth is, most people in, in uh, hierarchical organizations don't feel empowered. Mm. Small group of people hang on to a lot of authority because, again, they're fearful if they let go of that and they put it in the hands of somebody else, then what? Well, then that I lost control. Yeah, and that sounds like it ties in perfectly with the seduction of the leader. So let's go to our final break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the seduction of the leader with Rod Napier. So stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm here with Rod Napier, a foremost authority on groups and high-functioning teams. And we've been talking about fundamentals of groups and high-functioning teams, um, the importance of trust, and some other issues. And all of these things kind of are tying in, especially around the issue of feedback, are tying in and leading us to what I'm very excited to hear about, which is Rod's latest book called The Seduction of the Leader. So what does that exactly mean? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a negative premise, and most people want to have positive things to say. So you read all the books on the market. The books go like, uh, 
uh, 10 ways to ensure yourself to be loved or popular or mm. effective or so it's give me these 10 things and these these quick little dirty quick and dirty little epistles that are supposed to take people into a higher order like, and I, I i just don't i just don't buy most of it because most change is very demanding and it's not just going to happen because of some list of things to do but the seduction of the leader is built on a premise that says this the older we are the more power we have and influence in the lives of others the less those people that are around us will tell us the truth mm. now think about that that's that's not a very positive thing but it's what i find is alive and well in most organizations that I enter, that that people are are fearful, it's fear based, and they're fearful of telling the truth to their boss and sometimes to their peers, because that'll get to their boss. And um, so, if you have a if you have an organization like that, then what you have is diminished trust. Uh, you know, you're not going to trust each other. Because you don't know what's going to get back to the boss uh, behind the scenes, and you don't, and you watch people holding back in front of each other. So if I see you, Olivia, in a meeting, and I see I know you have information and you're not sharing it, then that's not going to be an invitation for me to share what I know, because I'm not going to make myself vulnerable if you're not. It's kind of like his kids. Remember, I'll show you if you show me. Right. Yeah. And uh, and so we don't. So what happens over years is that you have this sense of secrecy, people not sharing and not being truthful. And imagine the impact that has on an organization. And it really is organizational wide, usually. So what is a where would a change come from in in a company like that, where it is just so unsafe to be honest, what have you seen as as the driving impetus for companies to take a look at that, for example? Well, the part is it has to start at the top. And the problem is that's the last place <laughs> it's easy to start. So I'm working with this large company and they uh, 30,000 people in the company. And it's had a history of being very family-oriented, caring, and whatever. And they've got, in the last decade, they've, they've become highly competitive, anxious, anxious about their situation in the stock market, highly controlling. And so what they did is they, um, they did a survey of all the employees, and, uh, and the survey was, how do you like working here? What gets in your way? And, you know... And mm -hmm. they could rank their company against other companies and how they perceived. Well, these guys at the top had been isolated so long from the people down in the middle and bowels of the organization, they didn't have a clue. And they thought that we'll just go out and have this survey and we'll, we'll stand out in the top 10, 15%. <laughs> and uh, they got the data back. 
and they were in the bottom 40%. Wow. And, and they were just, it was like they couldn't believe it. So what they did is they fired the uh, the people who did the survey. <laughs> so, Sadly, that's so predictable. Is So did some of the people that took the survey have the experience of being there before it got that way? Do you oh, know? sure. That's And that's part of the problem is they kept wanting to come back. And some of the leaders at the top were the same leaders. It's just that over time, under the stress of business and whatever happened, it became this pretty negative place. And people, again, it became fear-based. Mm-hmm. So, so unless the leaders at the top take a step back and are really open to feedback and can begin to model and demonstrate that they're open to that, that they solicit information and that they actually use it, it's not going to change. You cannot change a, a mistrusting system from the middle. It has to change from the top. So it sounds like a leader, the leaders would have to, if they're that out of touch, they would almost have to be looking outside the company and going, boy, we're not staying very competitive or we're starting to get into trouble. But I know it's not me. So then they basically do the survey and find out that, oh, boy, yeah, it is something that we need to change from the top. Is that kind of what Yeah, well, instead of these guys firing uh, <laughs> the people getting the data, they would take the data, create task forces and openness to really dealing with some of the issues that that evolve from their from their research and start changing. And you know, people are very forgiving. It's amazing. I'm a I'm a big optimist. I've got this negative premise that I'm living with right now, but basically, people really want. One, they want to be known. You mentioned this. I just want to be, I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be loved. I want to be appreciated. So that's the one thing. They want to be able to tell the truth and, uh, and and they want to be visible to each other. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't do that if you're worried about what the person next to you is going to say to your boss or to each other or to the person next to you. And so it really demands a change in the culture. And that's why. There has been a, a, a movement to try to change organizational cultures to be more open because we now have a lot of evidence. I mean, it, this may sound like common sense, but it didn't matter. It, it wasn't helpful until recently. But the, the information says that people who feel good about themselves, feel good about the people they work with, want to produce more are more effective in what they do and happier and morale is higher and therefore productivity is higher. Well, don't you think? Mm, that's that's wonderful and it fits so much into my emphasis of uh, the human capital. So it looks like we're about out of time. Rod, thank you so much for being my guest today. Do you have any final words? Uh, we've got about 30 seconds and or maybe about 10 seconds. No, just... Uh, be more conscious of what you're seeing and wake up to what reality is and try to change that reality to a more positive thing. Most people are pretty unconscious and that's too bad, but we have it within ourselves to be conscious. Oh, thank you. And I hope you'll come back after your book comes out and we'll talk more about that. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Olivia.
My pleasure. So next week, I'll be exploring our immunity to change, which sort of ties into what we were talking about today. So my guest is David Zeitler, executive founder and president of Zeitler Executive Dynamics. And he's also director of senior coaching for Minds at Work, where he helps leaders achieve their professional development goals. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.